Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I'm excited to share this episode of the podcast with you because we're talking about something that we all know we need to be doing. We all wonder how does this thing work and sometimes we feel guilty because we don't do it enough or we don't do it right or we don't see it work, whatever it might be. And that is the topic of prayer. Well, you know, we ask this question does prayer actually move the hand of God? And there's all sorts of reasons we ask that, like God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing, so do we have to pray to Him? And, you know, it's just kind of this strange thing. So Pastor Dave answers this question by teaching on a parable of Jesus, of a man who shamelessly showed up at his friend's house at midnight to ask for bread. But Most of all, he wouldn't take no for an answer. And this is a really interesting parable. This teaching of Jesus makes us go, okay, how does this thing work? And so I just hope that this is helpful and encouraging to you, like it's helpful and encouraging to me to try to learn and understand better the reality of prayer truly impacting the heart of God and being a resource that impacts our world. And so again, I hope this is an encouragement to you. Hey, we'd love for you to check out our website, beartownroad.org for all sorts of information as we finish through this summer, as we come into the fall, and as we talk about our small groups, and as we talk about focus groups and all sorts of things that we have going on that we would love for you to participate in, both because we care about your spiritual growth and we also want to hear your voice and understand what is it that we can do better for you and what are areas that you're like, ah, maybe we should do things a little bit differently. Your voice and your feedback is always so incredibly helpful. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode titled The Shameless Midnight Friend. If you are a first-time guest today, or you have not been in attendance in a few weeks, or you just came across this online, I can explain this. Congratulations all you kids who raised a lot of money for missions And uh, I look forward to shaving this off and scrubbing my head after this service. Hey, uh, I came across a book. Actually, I was given a book called How to Pray by Pete Gregg. Uh, Subtitle is How to Pray for Normal People. And in it, he tells a story about a North Texas church, small church, rural church, that um, was right next to a tavern. And the tavern owner decided to build an addition to his church Um, that would kind of infringe a little bit on the church. And so the church, uh, they did not like that, so they called a prayer meeting. You know, all the people were praying that this guy wouldn't build an addition. They put it out on the newspaper. They did a petition, and they're like, God's going to answer this prayer, and this guy's not going to build his addition. Well, he got permits to build the addition, and they went through with it. And the church was really upset. The tavern owner was glad because he had a bigger tavern. Well, Shortly after he built the addition, lightning struck his tavern and burned it down. And the, the church was thrilled. They were excited. They were like, yeah, praise God. You know, he, he did this miracle for us. But the tavern owner was not happy, so he decided to sue the church. So he sues the church because he believed they were ultimately responsible for the material demise of his livelihood, whether intentional or not. So they, they go before the court, and the judge hears the case, and the judge says, I, I don't know what to do. I've never seen anything like this. I don't know how to judge this. He says, we appear to have a publican or a tavern owner who believes passionately in the power of prayer and an entire congregation that has lost its faith entirely. 
Now, I don't know if this story is true or not, but it does beg the question, does prayer move the hand of God? Does prayer actually work? And to put it in the context of our sermon series, do our prayers create permanent marks in other people's lives? Because this is a series that's mostly about action. This is a series about making a difference in somebody else's life, making a permanent mark in their life. And the question I want to get at today is, do our prayers actually make a difference? Do they make a permanent mark? And this is a question that we wrestle with. This is a question that we struggle with. And Jesus actually answers this question, and we're going to take a look at his response in Luke chapter 11. Here's what Jesus says. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John or John the Baptist taught his disciples. So John the Baptist had several disciples. Actually, a few of them left John to follow Jesus. But Jesus' disciples were like, When we see John teaching his disciples, they teach them to pray. Jesus, can you, too, teach us to pray? And so Jesus is like, sure, I'll I'll teach you to pray. So he gives them a template or a model of prayer. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, this is really awesome that we're able to approach, approach God as a father. Right, that, he, that he's infinite, but he's also intimate. That the God of the universe invites us to call him Father. And he says, but we should also approach him recognizing how holy he is and how sacred he is and how transcendent and awesome he is. And we should pray, your kingdom come, your, your will be done. I'm, I'm going to be tempted to pray my agenda, but I want your agenda to be done, not my will but your will be done. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. Now, bread was a staple in the ancient world, and people didn't oftentimes know if they were going to have enough bread for that day. They would bake bread on a daily basis. They would go, you know, there weren't refrigerators, there weren't freezers in those days, much like we have. And so they were dependent on God to give them their daily bread. And then he says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins Against us. So there's an assumption that when you come before God, that you've already forgiven those who have sinned against you. So I, I like to say we should ask God to forgive us of our specific sins, not simply, God, forgive me of my sins, but forgive me for losing my cool with my kids yesterday. Forgive me for using words against my spouse that were hurtful. Forgive me for God, God for being dishonest or for the different things that we do against God. And again, God, give me the the strength or the the power to forgive those who may have hurt me. And then he finishes up with this, lead us not into temptation. Because we know on a daily basis, we're going to face temptation. So God, give me the strength to be able to overcome temptation when I find it. I like to call the Lord's Prayer heart alignment. I like to use the illustration of when you get a car and you hit all of the speed bumps, and you hit all of the potholes that you easily get out of alignment. And so we bring our car to a mechanic so that they can realign us. So the Lord's Prayer is simply coming before God and asking God to realign our hearts with Him, that we would submit to Him, that we would bow to His will in our life. It's sort of a a soul detox, this moment where I'm saying, okay, God, I'm coming before you, and I want to think like you think. I want to see through your eyes and not my eyes. Now, that does not answer this whole question of does prayer move the hand of God, but it does get us in a position or a posture of being able to hear from God. It gives us in a posture where our hearts can get aligned with God. Now, Jesus is going to give us a parable 
that specifically answers this question, does prayer move the hand of God? But before we get into the parable, let me set up a bit of the context. Now, if you lived in the ancient world, if you lived in Jesus's day, um, there were a few rich people who owned big houses that would look like this, right? You'd, you'd have a house where you could house your animals inside the house. You would have an upper room similar to the upper room where Jesus told his disciples to go and prepare a place for them to celebrate what we now call the Last Supper. There would be a big room right here that later on when the church got going, they would meet inside house churches and you could fit, you know, 30 to 40 people and you could have your worship services in rich people's homes. So these homes existed, but most people lived in a very humble home. Like most commoners had homes that looked more like this. It was like one room. Maybe you had two rooms. Sometimes you would have stairs that would lead up the side and you'd be able to hang out on the roof. So when Jesus gives this parable, this is the home that most people are thinking about. Here's the parable. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight. Okay, now, nowadays, if you have a friend that comes to you at midnight, he calls you, he texts you, he texts you uh, knocks on the door, no big deal. But in the ancient world, if your friend comes to you at midnight, it's a big deal, right? Because you've already got all the kids lined up on the floor in your one room. Like, think of tent camping, right? You get all the kids lined up on the floor. You finally get them to sleep. You turn out the lights, and you're like, I hope that none of these kids have to go to the bathroom because if they got to go to the bathroom, now I got to, like, find my flashlight, and then I got to, you know, hope one of the kids doesn't step on mom's head. We can finally get out. That, this is kind of the situation. As a dad, you finally get all the kids lined up in the room, and you're hoping nobody comes knocking on the door. Because if they do, they're going to wake up the children. You know, in those days, they didn't have flashlights. They had lamps. It took a while to get the oil burned and the lamp going. It's just kind of a big deal. But here's a guy who has his friend come at midnight, and the friend, the friend says, hey, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, in the ancient world, a loaf of bread not only acts as your food, but it also acts as your silverware. You take the bread, you rip off pieces of it, and you sop it into the soup or your meat or whatever, and you use it to eat your food. This guy says, can I have three loaves of bread? Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. I don't want to be embarrassed. In the ancient world, hospitality was everything. And if somebody showed up, even if it was midnight, you want to be able to give them a place to stay, and you want to give them food because they've been traveling late at night. There's no inns in those days. If there are inns, it's expensive, Hey, I got a friend who lives up the road. We'll just kind of stay at his house for the night. And as a host, you don't want to be embarrassed. In an honor-shame culture, you don't want to be shamed and not have any food to provide for him. So, you know, you're, you're kind of picking your, you know, picking your head in the window because you're not knocking on the door because that would be extremely shameless. But you're just kind of like, hey, hey, can I get some bread? And the guy inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And all of Jesus' listeners are thinking, well, yeah, that's how I would act. I mean, I finally got the kids to bed, and everybody's ready to go. And this guy, you know, I know we're friends, but, like, we're not that good of friends. Like, I understand you've got a situation here, but I am not waking these children up to give you some bread. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. In other words, they're, they're good friends. 
But he doesn't get up because they're good friends. He gets up for a different reason. It's because of the man's boldness. He will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. So, I mean, you got this guy who is shameless. I mean, he's, speak, he's peeking in the window and he's like, I need some bread. And the guy's like, no, I'm not, go away. Hey, come on, give me some bread. No, go away, I got the, I get, hey, give me some bread. And, and he doesn't give them bread because they're friends. He gives them bread so that he'll get lost. And Jesus says, be bold like that. Now, th- this word bold, one commentator defined the word boldness like this. Shamelessness persisting in the face of all that seemed reasonable and refusing to take a denial. Right? It's like unreasonable, shameless, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the bread from this guy. Now, in your life, who do you know of that is the most unreasonable and the most shameless or the boldest? It's, it's children, right? It's, it's children who are often the most unreasonable. And, that, you know, let me just talk to the fathers for a moment because this, this kind of gets to the heart of the fathers. Jesus in this parable is using the example of the father. If you're a dad and your kids keep asking you for stuff, what do you do? Like yesterday, I, I had a kid who, like, I just gave him an ice cream cone, right? And then they're like, okay, hey, can I have a slushy?" right? And I gave him the slushy, partly because his mom wasn't there and, and she, she wouldn't find out. But I just, like, they asked for stuff. I know it's not good for them. But oftentimes it's like, hey, can I have it? Two minutes later, hey, can I have it? Three minutes later, hey, can I have it? And it's like, yes, I'll give it to you just to get you off my back. That's not great parenting. That's just the way it is sometimes as a dad, right? Because we get worn down and our kids get unreasonable. And Jesus is saying, that's how you should be when you go to God. He wants to hear from you. Um, So I, you know, I've got a little baby girl who will be three in just a few weeks. And I put her to bed. In the, in, the, in the evenings, oftentimes I'll put her to bed and um, I, I get her jammies on. And if she's lucky, she gets jammies. Usually I'm like, I think that shirt's clean enough. You know, you, you can go to bed with that. And I read her a little book. And then I put her to bed. And she requires me to sing her several songs. She loves to have me sing. I can't figure out why, but she just loves it. And her favorite song is The Wheels on the Bus. You know that song? And there's all kind of different characters on the wheels on the bus. There's like, you know, the, the people on the bus, the baby on the bus, um, the horn on the bus, the bus driver on the bus. And she, because she wants this song to keep going on, she has created new characters for the song. Like the mama on the bus says, I love you. So I'll just get a couple of the characters in, and then I'll be like, all right, it's time to go to sleep. And I'll walk out, and she'll be like, one more song. And, you know, it's like you go to a concert, and they're like, one more song. And I'm like, the band, I'm like, well, I guess I got to come out and do one more song, right? So I come out, and I sing the song, and then I'm like, that's the last song. Like, I'm tired, right? I want to I get out the room and do whatever. And I sing her the song, and then I get out, and she's like, one more song. And I'm like, all right, right? So I go back, and I sing her a song, and this concert just goes on forever because she is unreasonable. And she is bold, and she is persistent. And this is the meaning of the parable. When you got something that you really want, you keep on asking. 
even if it's shameless, even if it's unreasonable, you keep on knocking and you keep on asking and you persevere and you don't give up because prayer does, in fact, move the hand of God. Here's what Jesus says. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And again, he, he kind of appeals to the heart of a father here, right? Because the father just I guess maybe more than mothers give our kids things when we know maybe they don't even need it, but we just love to, to give them things. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Right? I mean, how many of you dads would give your little child a snake when they ask for a, maybe like a rubber snake, but not a real snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, I have a little bit of experience with scorpions because... Last week, I, I taught Bible for Vacation Bible School, and you would think that our children's director, Ann Weimer, would say, hey, thank you for teaching Bible. Here's an Egg McMuffin, your favorite breakfast for, for teaching Bible. But instead, she gave me a scorpion, right? And uh, I just got, one of these things is not like the other, right? <laughs> and as you can notice, these two guys don't have pink hair, and I, I, still, got, I still got the pink hair going on. And I just have to say, the scorpion actually didn't taste bad. It tasted like beef jerky. So if you've got any leftover of those, Ann, I'll, I'll take a few more. Jesus goes on. He says this. If you, though, if you though, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And isn't it true? If you're a Christian, you know this, right? If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, there's no better gift than the Holy Spirit that wants to give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, give us strength in the midst of the battle as we just sung about a few minutes ago. So in response to this question, does prayer actually move the hand of God? The answer to that is yes, absolutely persistent prayer moves the hand of God. So don't give up. Be persistent. Be shameless. Be bold. And keep on knocking on the door of heaven. There's a, a guy, a pastor, teacher, author named Andrew Murray who lived in the 1800s. He wrote the book Humility and some other classics. Very well-respected author and pastor. He wrote this. He says, God does indeed allow himself to be decided by prayer to do what he otherwise would not have done. So don't give up. Keep on praying. Um, I love how this, this principle worked out in the life of Hannah. Hannah's story is told in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We discover at the very beginning of this book that she's married to a man named Elkanah. It's never a good idea to have two wives, right? Anytime you have two wives, it's not going to work out. There's rivalry. It just makes things so complicated. So you have Hannah, who has no kids, and Peninnah, we know, has at least sons and daughters. She's got at least a few kids. Now, in the ancient world, if you are a woman, it is not like this nowadays, but in the ancient world, biblical times, if you did not have children, many people incorrectly thought that you were cursed by God. 
They believed as a woman that you were to stay at home and raise children. And if you could not raise children, which was your chief aim in life, you believe God was against you, right? And, and sometimes people would say things that were not so nice to you. And so Hannah was not able to have children, and she deeply, deeply struggled with this. Now, her husband Elkanah would take Hannah and Peninnah to Shiloh, which was the place of worship at that time. It was before there was a temple. And they would worship the Lord, and they would take the animals that were sacrificed. And the text tells us that To Hannah, Elkanah gave her a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And I'll bet you that Hannah was thinking, hey, I appreciate the double quarter pounder with cheese. I mean, that's good that I get a double serving of meat, but I would rather have children. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You got somebody in your life who irritates you a little bit? You got somebody in your life who who provokes you a little bit, who takes what's already a difficult situation and just exacerbates it, just makes it worse. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now, it gets even worse because Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Right, which is never a good thing to say to your wife. It gets even worse. Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? I mean, you talk about the insensitivity. So, because her husband Elkanah said this, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up and punched him in the face. That's probably what she wanted to do, but she had a little bit more maturity. So we learned that in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Year after year, persistently, unreasonably. I mean, one day she goes to Shiloh, right? And she she comes up to the, the place of worship, and there's Eli, who's the priest, sitting there real close to her. And he, he can see her mouth moving, but he can't hear any words. And I just imagine her kind of disheveled, right, because she's been shamelessly going before the throne of God. And Eli looks at this woman and says to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Will you get rid of your wine? What is wrong with you? Right? So ancient world, this is about as bad as it gets. So she says, not, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And she did this year after year, wondering where was God in all of this? Why would he allow this to happen? Why would he allow me to get provoked and irritated by my rival year after year? Why won't God answer my prayer? But she never gave up, right? She was persistent. She kept on pursuing the Lord. And here's what happened. In the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, a sermon like this brings out a whole lot of questions, doesn't it? Like, How long do I need to pray? Because some of you have been praying a long time. 
should I get more people to join me in prayer? Because if I get more people, maybe I can cut the length of time. And, and some of those questions are, are difficult and we don't have answers. That's part of the mystery of God. But the biblical authors wrestled with this issue, didn't they? I mean, you look at Psalm chapter 13 where David said this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long? How long do I need to keep on praying? How long do I need to go through this dry spell where I don't even feel your presence? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then it's almost like he gets unreasonable and shameless and bold, right? Like, would you ever say this to God? He's like, he's like look at me and answer me, oh, Lord, my God. It's like what you say to your kids sometimes. Look at me, boy. Answer me. Just frustrated and exhausted and wants an answer. And yet, God seems silent. But then he says this. This is so good. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. In other words, I'll sing one more song. I'm going to keep singing because you've been good to me. You've given me salvation. You've given me good gifts. You've given me people in my life. And I don't know all the time why you do the things that you do and your thoughts are above my thoughts and your ways are higher than my ways, but I'll keep on praying because I know that prayer moves the hand of God. There's a guy in our congregation, I met with him recently, and um, he told me this, this story. And he, he said I could share this, but told me not to mention his name. And uh, I discovered that he, he's a woodworker, and he builds things, and he builds prayer kneelers. And he said he set up a little website, sold these prayer kneelers to all kinds of different people. He sold like 80 or 90 of them through the years. Here's just a few people that he sold them to, an LPGA pro golfer who's now a contemplative nun, uh, hospice in Portland, Oregon for bedside prayer, a prison minister in Texas, a mother with two sons in Afghanistan, friends as a wedding gift to newlyweds, a wife whose husband was dying of ALS, friends in Colorado for their minister who stood by them through their great grief. And I asked him, why would you do this? Why would you spend all this time crafting these prayer kneelers? And I love what he said. He said, if there was one person who said one prayer more, it was worth it. Just one prayer more. One prayer more. One more song. Because you don't know when God's going to answer that prayer. So don't give up. Came up with a little spectrum here because I think in a room this size, and maybe you're here watching online, we're all in different places when it comes to prayer. Right? I mean, maybe some of you are like, you're a prayer doubter. Maybe you're, you're not even sure you believe in the existence of God. Some of you believe in God, but you're wondering why he doesn't answer your prayers. And when you pray, it just feels like they're bouncing off of the ceiling. Others of you are prayer warriors. There's a, a group of ladies that meet every Monday afternoon, and they just pray for people. They meet every Monday, and they just pray. 
And I always get inspired that, by that group of people. I always get inspired by the people in this church. They just keep on praying because they consider it their greatest work. They consider prayer as having the ability to create a permanent mark in somebody else's life. So they keep on praying. Some of us, you know, we're, we're somewhere along this spectrum, right? And my challenge to you is that you would step it up wherever you are. I mean, you know, some of us, maybe our prayer life looks like this, like, God, would you bless this food to our body, right? Or God, would you keep us safe? Which, you know, it's like just eat healthy food, drive the speed limit, and wear your seatbelt. The food's probably going to bless your body, and you'll probably be safe. Some of our prayers are just kind of like quick little prayers, like, God, help me to do well in this interview, or help her to call me back, or help this to go well. And I just want to challenge you to step it up a little bit, to really press in to that thing that will only change if God does something about it. What's that thing in your life that's not going to change? Unless God moves. I want to challenge you to to step it up. Maybe it's an extra five minutes a day. I thought about, you know, giving you a a challenge that everybody would pray five minutes a day for one thing. Maybe that's what you need to do. But whatever it is, I pray that you would go another step. Our, Our mission statement here at the church is that we would help each other take our next steps towards Jesus. And my challenge to you is you would take another step in your prayer And that when you get weary, and when you're wondering why God's not answering that prayer, that you would keep on. Just like that midnight friend who showed up and said, I'm not leaving till I get my bread. Just like Hannah showed up year after year after year and said, I'm not leaving till you give me my child. My prayer is that you would just do one more prayer. One more prayer. One more prayer. Don't give up. He's a good God who loves you and who wants to give you good things. So I want to give you an opportunity right now for the next couple of minutes to just be silent before the Lord, to take two minutes to just kind of focus your thoughts and to pick one thing, just one thing, one person, family member, one relationship, one situation that just seems like it's not going to move, just seems like it's not going to change. Go after God for it. Shamelessly, unreasonably, boldly. Pray that God would do something miraculous in your life or in the life of that other person. So take a couple of minutes silently. Then we're going to celebrate communion together. Um, But just be still before the Lord and pray. Take a couple of minutes to silently. I hope that this message was not only an encouragement to you, but that it was helpful to you to think about how do we pray and why do we pray and to gain some resources to be able to pray in a more powerful, more effective way. I know that for myself, this is an area to enhance because our prayers really do impact the heart of God. And so until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.